JJ and Life. I'm your host, DJ San Marco, on a beautiful Friday afternoon, July 28th, the eve of UFC 214, a card that many of you have been waiting for. I'm sure all of you are just absolutely thrilled about this fight. And um, I don't know, I guess I am I am too. I mean it's it's a it's kind of a strange feeling. We're gonna get into it when we get to the main event because uh, I have an icky feeling about what might go down in that fight but um, but it is a huge UFC weekend and it's something that uh, we all should celebrate and perhaps we'll uh, make up for whatever wasn't provided by the uh, UFC card in um, by the UFC card in uh, in, in uh, July 8th, 9th, when uh, Valentina Shevchenko and Amanda Nunes fell off the card due to uh, Amanda's illness. So we will see what happens with that one coming up here in Edmonton, UFC 215. I want to say September 8th. I could be wrong. So, But it is UFC, the next numbered UFC, UFC 215 in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. So I uh, just wanted to give you guys a quick preview. Um, I really had designs on getting somebody on, and I really should have started working it earlier, kind of like the week got away from me. I was going to get a Tristan Critchfield or somebody like that on. It would have been really good, but I didn't. Um, I didn't. Um, didn't get get that done like I, I should have. I should have gotten after it a little bit earlier. But you know what? Um, hopefully there will be a lot of theatrics and drama that we can react to after the fight, which is even more fun than picks. A lot of people are doing picks shows. I used to do roundtables um, on other iterations of the show, uh, the Nicoa MMA show, uh, ULT MMA show, the DJ MMA show, in that order. Those are my three prior podcasts. And I did a lot of roundtables with guests and great journalists and and uh, other um, super fans like myself, and would uh, make make picks and have a lot of breakdown and analysis. And you know what? Like I'm not I'm not into doing it as much as I used to. Um, now I'm more interested in talking about uh, a little bit about the fight and then a lot about covering some of the surrounding issues that happen in in the news so it's interesting not in the way that Helwani does but in a different way but anyway without further ado um, again it's uh, MMA BJJ and life at MMA underscore BJJ underscore and life on Twitter 
DJ San Marco one on excuse me DJ San Marco one at Gmail if you want to hit me up on there I have a story a fan post up on bloodyelbow.com which thankfully got a like from the owner and chief over at bloodyelbow.com Kid Nate Wilcox and um, and I have a second so the first was uh, about the Amanda Nunez pull out and my second post gives you a little bit of histrionics. There's actually another post up there on Bloody Elbow Fan Post about um, uh, John Jones and Cormier's prior relationship, which I found really interesting and I didn't know about. Mine was sort of about the beginning of the of, of John Jones and the UFC, the heel turn, and then taking that right into his relationship with Cormier and how the fight might turn out. So um, I sort of took you back to 2010, 2011, when sort of the mask came off. John Jones, the mask was sort of pulled off. If you were at a masquerade ball, and uh, certain people, um, Lara, um, I want to just stitch back really quick before we get into the card. My friend Larry Pepe on Pro, Pro MMA Radio, Larry Pepe, P-E-P-E, did the definitive piece on the John Jones Rashad issue back then about when Rashad actually pulled out of their first scheduled fight which would have been shortly after he won the title from Shogun Hua shortly after he left the Jackson camp uh, when Rashad left um, the lies that Greg Jackson told um, a lot of you know a lot of there was a lot of intrigue there that Larry covered at length and I don't I haven't Google searched it in some time to see if it's still out there, but it's fascinating stuff because Larry is an attorney, and if you come on his show and you try to BS him, chances are he is going to catch you in your lie because he will cross-examine you, and he did that to Greg Jackson and uh, definitely made Greg uh, step on his crank when um, he had been saying when he invited John Jones to come in the camp uh, he had been telling people, this guy is the future of MMA. I mean, this guy is like the greatest thing we've ever seen. And he was, and he is. Uh, but the point was that he told Rashad that he never said that. And in fact, he did say that. And um, Chris Luttrell actually came on Larry's show and told Larry, yeah, in fact, he did say that. Um, and it took three weeks of cajoling and having... F- uh, Phil Nurse and other um, African American people to call Rashad and get him to verbally allow them to have John come on the team under the guise that he would help them prepare for Anderson Silva when in fact really he's the greatest thing anyone ever seen which is what Greg was telling people and that's why they wanted him on the team because they knew that he would usurp Rashad eventually because of the limited talent that Rashad had in comparison to John, not as a mixed martial artist in in total, but in comparison to John, they knew that he would usurp John, he would surpass John, uh, excuse me, he would uh, surpass Rashad and make them a hell of a lot of money, and that is exactly what happened. That is the story. Um, If you want to go back into the history of how John Jones became this John Jones, the UFC John Jones that we know, and what his history was at Jackson's, and it all stemmed around um, 
Phil Nurse and other people, coaches calling Rashad saying, please let him come on the team. Let him come on the team. He's going to help us prepare for Silva, blah, blah, blah. Uh, you know, and in fact, it was really, they were so enamored with his talent, knew that they could make him, um, you know, even more amazing than he already was. And uh, under the tutelage of Mike Winklejohn and, and the Jackson system and others, um, that they wanted him on the team knowing that he would eventually beat Rashad and he would become what he has and make them a, a hell of a lot of money over there. And and he, he did just that. Okay, so let us get into uh, UFC 214 really quick. Um, this is not going to be too long. I'm going to start off with a guy that's fascinating from the jiu-jitsu community in Brian Ortega against uh, Renato Carnero or Moicano as they call him. Uh, both these guys, uh, uh, Hinato is 11-0-1, Ortega is 11-0, both have uh, great submission skills, um, uh, Carnero definitely the, the better striker. I think it will be really interesting to see uh, this. I, I've always gone for Ortega, man. I just find his guard game to be absolutely fantastic. So I'm going to take a flyer on Ortega. I mean, you know, it could go either way. You know, Moicano is blowing a lot of people away as, as well. But I'll, I'll go with uh, I'll go with Ortega and see what happens, man. He tapped Diego Brand down. Diego is a very high-level jiu-jitsu player, um, or at least uh, as as it relates to MMA, he is. Uh, Henan Barao at 34 and four. My friend, formerly of Kimura Novanyao, training here at um, Power MMA in Arizona. He has totally changed up his game by uh, not uh, doing camp at Novanyao in uh, Rio and coming to a place where there's a lot newer and better training methods and availability of training partners and different techniques and you don't have to worry about all the gym rivalries that you might have in Rio. And so uh, he's here with uh, Mestre Jair Lorenzo. And I think that is what Barao needed to do to change his game, shift the paradigm. And I, I think that he can beat a very, very talented Aljamain Sterling. And a guy who I think is an up-and-comer. Hasn't quite put it all together yet, but a guy I think is impressive as a um, somebody who's still kind of a prospect. He's got 15 fights. He's 13-2. and two. So I'll take about Al. Um, Jason Knight, Hick Diaz, as he calls him from Mississippi. This guy is super exciting at 20-2. and two, Most of those on the regional circuit going up against uh, Ricardo Lamas, the bully who's also an excellent fighter, well-rounded fighter at 17-5. and five. I love Jason Knight's striking game. I love his toughness, his jiu-jitsu. He never seems to be in trouble on the floor. You can get a takedown on him, and as soon as you get a takedown, he's attacking, you're defending, and you're thinking less about hitting him and more about trying to escape what he's putting you in. So I am a big fan of this Jason Knight. I think he is a future star, and I'm going with Jason Knight all the way to beat Ricardo Lamas. Uh, Jimmy Manoa, uh, the uh, British striker, um, excellent stand-up fighter at 17-2 and two going up against Henry Hoofs. 
uh, student Volkan Ozdemir. I really like Ozdemir. He's very aggressive, and this is a tough one. I mean, obviously, he can get blasted on the chin by Jimmy Manoa. Uh, he throws a lot of leg kicks. Um, he's not, defensively, he's not that great, Ozdemir. So I'll, I want to pick him. I'm going to go ahead and pick him, but boy, you know, Jimmy Manoa, if you don't, you know, if you don't have your head off center line, you can be, be in big, big trouble against him. But I really like um, Volkan Ostemir. Looks like a typical Henry Hooft, come forward, smash you with leg kicks kind of fighter. Uh, the Ruthless One, Robbie Lawler, uh, talking about um, how he's been affected by not having Matthews in his camp. Sadly, Matthews uh, in a coma after um, being hit by a train in his pickup truck and uh, in less than until he wakes up from that and is able to recount something we won't know exactly what happened but extremely sad and somebody who was very much an advisor to and would go and watch Robbie train and give him advice and and somebody that had the respect of Robbie more than probably a lot of guys today do because he was a great fighter when Robbie was coming up. Um, he was the, the keystone fighter there at uh, Militich Fighting Systems. He's 27 and 11 going up against Donald Cerrone at 32 and 8. Both these guys are great fighters. Both are OGs. One a little bit more power in, in his hands, although Cerrone also has power in his hands. But Cerrone has the devastating leg kicks he has the takedown game. Um, he may not have the defense. He may get hit a lot. So that could be a problem against the ruthless one. So it's hard to pick this fight. But I'm going to pick Donald Cerrone uh, to win by KO. Maybe head kick. Something like that. Um, both these guys have taken a lot of damage in, in, the recent, uh, in recent history. Uh, Christine, Christian Cyborg Justino and Tanya Evinger. I mean, what can you say? I'm not picking somebody to beat Cyborg until I see somebody that looks like they're her equal, at least physically and skill-wise, and there doesn't exist yet that I know of a 145-pound fighter or close that is on her level physically. Um, there are... There just isn't. I mean, there are some girls, like in the strawweight division, I really like their skill sets that how they might match up with her but right now we just don't have anybody so I'll take Christian uh, Tyron Woodley at 17 and 3 going up against Damian Maya and I'm going to um, I'm going to pick like a lot of the other people have picked um, I just don't think Damian Maya has it to be able to take down Tyron Woodley and be able to, to, to basically to be able to get close to him. Um, even Tyron himself recognizes that he can't back up to the fence the way he had been using that for the last few fights. He did that against Rory. He did that against Wonderboy. You cannot do that against Damian Maya, and he knows that. Um, so he doesn't have great footwork. Um, he's not very smooth in the way that he moves around the cage. But he has speed, he has a lot of power, and if Tyron touches you, you go to sleep. And I just don't think that Damian Maya will be able to avoid Tyron's right hand. 
or his left hand or him even getting stunned and then finished falling to the ground and probably getting finished by Tyron for five rounds I just don't think so that he can do that plus Tyron has devastating leg kicks when he decides to throw him and this would be a good time to throw him because Damian's not good at, at uh, defending leg kicks he actually got tagged with leg kicks pretty hard by uh, George Masvidal so I think uh, this is Tyron Woodley's fight as sad, sadly for Damian Maia as a jiu-jitsu guy I would love to see him win a title with jiu-jitsu it would be great but I don't think that's going to happen and then the main event, the aforementioned Jonathan Dwight Jones at 22-1, and one, and that one really does not exist. He's really 23-0 and 0 as far as I'm concerned. And Daniel Cormier in a legitimate 19-1. and one. Um, uh, Daniel with that one loss coming against John Jones. And um, he is a great fighter in any era in two weight classes, and it just so happens there's this guy who is just a phenomenon, John Jones. If you want to read my piece on Bloody Elbow about John Jones, it is a fan post on Bloody Elbow. Um, I'd love for you to read it. And I think that John, in this fight, what he wants to do is, you know, when you look at what he did to Rampage Jackson, the way that he destroyed Rampage's knee, Rampage's knee will never be the same again. Um, if you hear any interview with Rampage Jackson where you say the name John Jones, he's going to start talking about his knee. And short of some great stem cell surgery or something that, that obviously Rampage has not gotten yet, I don't think his knee will ever be the same. He always talks uh, about what John did to his knee. And John will do the same thing to Daniel's knee. And if he can hit it just right, he will take that knee out. Um, if he can do something similar to what Yoel did against Robert Whitaker, um, he will go at it. But the difference is, is that Yoel, once he really attacked that knee, he didn't keep going out. He knew that um, that uh, Robert Whitaker was hurt, but he didn't continue to go after that knee with that oblique kick. There is nobody in MMA that throws the oblique kick as well as John Jones does. John Jones does, and it's six four, and with his reach and his length, um, he can really, really hyperextend your knee. If your knee is not pointing north south and it's pointing a little bit east west, he can shred your knee. I mean, he can buckle. There's, there's, there are highlight videos of what John Jones has done to people's knees with that oblique kick. Um, I believe that he will hunt Daniel's knee. I believe he'll get it. And I believe we're going to see a finish either by knees, by, uh, by uh, debilitating Daniel's knee, or by, um, uh, by elbows somehow on the ground, like possibly a standing elbow, something like that, getting John to the floor and uh, smashing him with, uh, with those elbows. So I... I that's how I feel about it. I feel for John, he doesn't really want to just beat Cormier. I think he wants to debilitate Cormier. I think he feels hatred toward him. And I feel like he wants to, uh, Cormier to think about him every day of his life after this when he gets up out of bed. The way that Glover Teixeira is going to think about him 
He's every time his shoulder hurts, he's going to think about John Jones. Just like every time my sh my shoulder hurts, I think about the black belt I know that um, that wrenched my shoulder in such a way during uh, some very simple specific training drills that uh, he didn't have to do that. I don't think he's no longer at the academy anymore. I think he's been asked to leave, but um, he hurt a lot of people, and I was one of them. So. Um, so anyway, um, I, I, you know, Daniel, you know, before, obviously, you know, people have, have recounted for you on other shows that Daniel was able to land some leg kicks early on. John counter punched him really hard. He is able to throw an elbow, um, like it's a strike with the length of his arms. He did it to Rashad. He did it to Daniel. He's going to do more of that. And it's it's really, you know, I just really don't feel Daniel has a way to win. I mean, you can say this is an over oversimplification, but literally he would have to get inside with Daniel. He'd have to be able to take him down and hold him down and, and punish him on the ground. And that's never been done. So if he does that tonight, or tomorrow night rather, I will be amazed. But he's never done that, and I don't, I honestly don't see him doing that. So that's frankly how I, I feel. Um, Daniel's an enormous, just tremendous talent, a great fighter. He fights a little bit too clean for the style that John Jones has. If you notice, a lot of the guys that come from AKA, a lot of them are not very good with the elbows. A lot of them are not great at ground and pound. Um, they have a different style of of kickboxing. You know, the type of guy I've always thought that would beat John Jones would have been like a guy like Tyron Tyrone Spong, rather. You know, a guy that could, you know, who obviously, I mean, he actually had his leg broken in Muay Thai, but um, but a guy that could have smashed John with leg kicks really hard, where you know sort of I've always said like an Edson Barbosa uh, of the light heavyweight division somebody that had a good sprawl and and some good takedown defense with really good mock boxing good footwork that could smash John in the legs and really give him pause and there isn't a guy like that there are guys that fight very conventionally guys that try to hit him in the face um, the guys that don't work the body very well, they do a lot of shots to the head, and that's where John is very strong. He's very strong above the shoulders. You know, guys have hit him and have not been able to hurt him. So, as uh, somebody pointed out uh, the other day on one of the other shows, if, if Gustafson didn't take him out when he didn't even train um, and couldn't make him quit, you know, Nobody else is going to make him quit. So you have to legitimately beat him and outscore him. And it's very, very difficult to do that. In fact, that's probably Daniel's best strategy. If he can't get a takedown, he should be going for a takedown early and often. And if he can't get that takedown and out-wrestle him, then he should be uh, thinking about how to outpoint him. And, and it's, it's almost impossible to do when a guy has that much reach and he's kicking you in the knee. 27 times and throwing all these elbows so um but as far as clinching with them if you don't if you can't take them down you're you're in deep trouble so i've got john jones to win by tko uh possibly decision 
and um, possibly just really wearing out Daniel's knee because he's going to be as violent, I think, as we've ever seen John Jones be in this fight. So, all right, folks, we're not going to drag this on. That is um, that is my view on UFC 214. We're going to go over to the hotel. Who knows? I might get an interview tonight over at the hotel. We'll see if we can't can't do that. Um, maybe I'll see a fighter. I'm going to visit uh, Jussie Formiga. We'll see Baral. And if I can get an interview that I think will be interesting, I'll get one. And um, I want to thank you for listening to us on MMA BJJ and Life. I really appreciate it. And we are going to continue. Uh, we have Eddie Bravo this weekend. Um, I didn't get to bring a preview. Um, a lot of these folks I don't really know very well. So, um, but we'll see. We got to get a jiu-jitsu guy on to talk about that because they have the combat tournament coming up in November. But I would really like to talk, uh, get some jiu-jitsu talk on here. So we'll see if anybody that I know is watching it that wants to break that down. So again, thank you very much. It's at MMA underscore BJJ underscore and life on Twitter. And thank you very much. I really appreciate all you guys. So have a great, safe weekend. Enjoy UFC 214. Okay. Um, hopefully, um, <laughs> you know, there won't be <laughs> mass carnage there. And, um, and as always, I wonder what's uh, coming up around the bend. <laughs>